Today's topic, today, the title of today's lesson, I've just simply titled it, We Change, But God Remains. We Change, But God Remains. And so this morning, we want to talk about the immutability of God, and we'll talk a little bit more about what that means. So if you have your Bibles, why don't you turn with me back to the book of Psalms? So we were in the book of Psalms this morning in our time of Sunday worship, and we're going to be back in the book of Psalms again. And again, we're actually going to be looking primarily at three verses. The text for today is Psalm chapter 102, verses 26 to 28. And if you're able just to honor God's word, why don't you stand with me? And let's read God's word together. Psalm 102, verses 26 to 28. And actually, I'm going to cheat, and we'll actually start in verse 25. Psalm 102. Of old, you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe, and they will pass away. But... You are the same, and your years have no end. The children of your servant shall dwell secure. Their offspring shall be established before you. Please be seated. Well, I have a question to pose to us this morning. What do you do when you feel weak, confused, and under duress. Now, some people might uh, go to chocolate. <laughs> they may grab a piece of chocolate. Some others might maybe search the internet to try to find a self-help solution to life's ailments. But I think our passage this morning actually gives us an answer to this very question. And the answer is simply this. Look to our immutable God. Look to our immutable God. Well, just a little background about Psalm 102. Psalm 102 is a longer chapter. It's more than just three verses. And you'll notice if you have your Bibles and you look at Psalm 102, that the author of Psalm 102 is not identified. There's actually no historical context that's given in preparation as we read the psalm, there's only a description of the situation given in the superscript. So if you look at the heading of Psalm 102, my Bible reads, a prayer of the afflicted when he is faint and pours out his complaint before the Lord. So, the question is, why are we spending time in this next hour trying to understand the immutability of God? And I think the answer is this. The unchangeable God is our source of confidence and strength when we are weak, confused, and afflicted. So when you feel at any point, it could be today, it could be tomorrow, next week, next month. If you feel the same emotions that this psalmist feels, being afflicted, 
feeling fainted, weak-hearted, having a complaint to God, the answer to this remedy of this situation is to look to the unchangeable God. Now, this psalm, Psalm 102, it's divided into three main sections. So the first section is in verse 1 to 11, and we see that the psalmist is pouring out his complaint to the Lord. The second section, verses 12 to 22, the psalmist is now putting his focus on the Lord. And then the third and final section in verse 23 to 28, the psalmist is now praying with confidence in the Lord. And for the sake of time, we're just going to go to the punchline. So we're going to focus our time on the final three verses of this psalm. And the, the, the concept is very straightforward. Even if my five-year-old were here this morning, I think I can explain him these three points. The first point is in verse 26. All creation changes. The second point in verse 27, God remains the same. And then the third point in verse 28, because of all this, our hope is secure. So let's start with the first point in verse 26. If you still have your Bibles, it reads, they will perish. They will perish. And we understand this, right? When we look at everything around us, everything is falling apart, right? Um, we moved into our house about eight, nine years ago. Um, most everything was still in working order, and gradually over the last few th years, I mean, things break in our kitchen, in our bathroom, uh, our fence is deteriorating uh, after several years of rain. You look uh, out even, um, you know, in nature, right? We see grass grows and it withers, flowers bloom, they fade away. Even us as human beings, in our mother's womb, we begin to grow. And then we mature, we age, we get weak, and then we die. But during the time of the Old Testament, most people would think there's maybe two things in creation that doesn't seem to change, heaven and earth. I wake up every morning, the sun looks the same, the sun sets, the stars look the same. There could be storms and earthquakes, but the mountain ranges remain. And so if anything that's seemingly unshakable in our universe, it's the heavens and the earth. But look what the psalmist acknowledges. It, he acknowledges in verse 25, you laid the foundations of the earth, God, and the heavens, they're all in, in your hands. But he says in verse 26, they will perish. The psalmist is, is here stating that the most stable parts of our world, the most beautiful parts of creation that are freest from corruptibility or at least change from man, he's using this as an illustration that even, even all of creation will change, including the heavens and the earth. And in contrast, we'll see in verse 27, God doesn't. God remains. And he even gives them the illustration of clothing, right? How many of you in this room would be able to wear the same clothes every day 
for the rest of your life. Right? Most of us might even change our clothing, you know, even a second time or a third time in one day, depending on what our activities are. We, we're constantly replacing our clothing. Why? Well, the obvious, right? Clothes get dirty. They get stained. They get damaged and tear. And even if your clothing doesn't thin or wear out, it may not fit you anymore. I remembered uh, in my closet hanging right now, I have a suit, a two-piece suit that I believe I got after college. And because it, I think at the time, costed a few hundred dollars, uh, for me to purchase this suit required a lot of investment. And even though it's a little bit out of style, I, I actually still have the suit and there's like plastic wrap because I'm thinking one day I might still wear in the, in the suit. And so um, a few months ago, I think there was a wedding coming up. I was like, you know what? I'm gonna pull out the suit. And so I pull out the suit and I thought, I read recalled, it looked really good on me. But first of all, I could barely fit. I could barely, <laughs> I guess I was thinner back then, 20, 25 years ago. And I looked in the mirror and it, the style was completely off. Like if I look at, you know, magazines of what people would normally wear to look, you know, nice, you know, good looking, it was certainly not, you know, what my suit was. Uh, my suit, even though I took as good of care of it, is something that doesn't last. Clothing goes out of style. Items of clothing inevitably get discarded, replaced. And what God is saying is that it's the same way with all of creation. You look, you look at us even, like we change. We learn, right? We learn new things every day. We, we, we gain information and we forget. Even important things we start to forget. We work out, we exercise, we get stronger, and then we get older, we get injured, and we weaken. One day you and I are happy. We have a great day. Another day we're somber, disappointed. One day we feel we are beloved by others, and the next day we form new enemies. We love, then we lose interest. We give birth to life, and yet we all know that one day all of us will die. So all creation changes. And I think there's two important implications when we understand the seemingly obvious truth. The first implication is for us to understand that it is sin that lays the foundation of worldly decay. But even it wasn't sin that caused change. So by definition, all creation changes, even before the fall. But it was because of the fall that the changes that take place become even more cursed, right? When, when God pronounced judgment and cursing on Adam, God said, cursed is the ground because of you. So it's not just that man deteriorates, all the universe is cursed and decaying because of man's sin. But I think the second implication is perhaps even more important for us, and that is this. Fools set in their hearts upon that which perishes. It is foolish for you and I 
to want to place our confidence in something that does not last, something that changes. The Apostle Paul writes in the book of Romans that professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the likeness of corruptible man. So what man does is that we replace God who is incorruptible, unchangeable, and we replace this God, this great God, with something else in this universe that is corruptible, that will change. It is foolish for us to make this type of exchange. We cannot rest on anything in this world, right? Money will fail you. Your intelligence will deceive you. Your physical abilities will not endure you. You and I change. People will change. They will leave you. They will fail you. Your power and popularity will not last. Christian, we are not to depend on these things. But instead we are to depend on God. And so that is why it naturally leads to the second point that even though in verse 26, all creation changes, the second point is that God remains the same. God remains the same. Look back down at the text, right? Verse 26, they will perish, but here's the but, but, you will remain. Verse 27, but you are the same and your years will not come to an end. Now, I'm going to use the word immutable. And again, I don't remember the last time I've used the word immutable, but we are using this word to describe God. And the English word immutable generally means unchanging over time, unable to be changed. So it's not just the fact that there's no change over a period of time, but there's an incapability, an inability to change. And the Bible teaches us that God is immutable. God remains the same. And the immutability of God is what we call an incommunicable attribute. For some of you who are here at the first lesson overview, you might recall that some theologians like to categorize the characteristics of God. And sometimes we categorize it by communicable attributes and incommunicable attributes. So for example, God is love, right? God is loving. And somehow he can communicate love so that we can have to some degree or an extent a similar type of love, right? God is merciful and he wants us to, to, to also um, be merciful. We are to be holy as God is holy. These are communicable attributes. But immutability is incommunicable. There is no desire, there's no capacity, there's no command that we are to be incorruptible and, and, and immutable. That is an attribute that's unique to God. 
One person says that immutability marks a fundamental distinction between the creator and his creation, between God and humanity. And in fact, even God's name implicates his immutability. He gives the name to Moses in the burning bush, I am who I am. I am means that he has being, eternal being. I am that I am implies that what I am, I will always be. There is no change. There's incapacity for me to change. I am Yahweh. I am an immutable God. Now, God tries to help us understand this. Uh, the Bible actually gives us at least two images of this concept of immutability. The first image is that God is likened to a rock, to a rock. Deuteronomy chapter 32, Moses says, the rock, his work is perfect. And I think some of you may remember that this Hebrew word for rock is not a small stone or pebble. It's an image of a cliff. Uh, of a mountain. And I always uh, pictured the image of El Capitan in Yosemite National Park, right? Obviously, we had just set, stated that heaven and earth changes. But imagine the biggest rock, immovable, right? Uh, a rock that you can build your house on, uh, a rock that you can hold on to. God is likened to this rock, and it's to highlight his stability and his permanence. The second image that the, the Bible gives us as it pertains to his immutability is that God is compared to light, to light. James chapter 1, verse 17 reads, Every good thing given, every perfect gift is from above, coming down from, and get this, the father of lights with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. So James is comparing God to the heavenly lights. And again, you have to understand that 2000 years ago, uh, mankind, as he looks to the heavens, to the moon and the stars, the stars are unreachable to, to man 2000 years ago. And so the stars are incorruptible. There's nothing you can do on earth that changes a star from being able to emanate its light. And, and even 1 John 1.5, John states that God is absolute light without darkness. So as sure and as untouchable it is for me to affect starlight, sunlight, as sure as the strongest mountain cliff like El Capitan, that's how God tries to communicate his attribute of immutability to you and me. Well, let's get a little bit more specific. There are at least four ways that God remains the same. They are not the only four ways, but there are at least four ways. The first is this, God is unchangeable in his essence. God is unchangeable in his essence. What do I mean when I use the word essence? 
Well, when I say that God is unchangeable and in his essence, I'm using the word essence in a way that states that God's essence refers to everything about God that makes him divine, that makes him God. We understand that the Father is God. The Son, S-O-N, is God. The Spirit is God. But the Father is not the Son. The Father is not the Spirit. The Son is not the Spirit. But what makes God God, what makes the Father God, what makes the Son God, what makes the Spirit God, that is his essence. God's essence refers to both his divine nature and his moral character. The Westminster Shorter Catechism says that God is unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. His immutability is a glory belonging to all the attributes of God. So when you think with me all the other attributes of God that you already know and that we will continue to study, all of that, all of those attributes are linked to his immutability. God is devoid of all change, not only in his being, but also in his perfections. And even reason teaches us that no change is possible with God, since a change is either for better or for worse, but in God as the absolute perfection, improvement and deterioration are both equally impossible, right? When something changes, it usually means that it gets better or it gets worse. But logically speaking, if something is perfect, by definition, it can't change. Even philosophers who do not acknowledge the Christian God affirm this absolute truth. Plato affirmed God's immutability. Aristotle's definition of God is, quote, unmoved mover, close quote. To, Aristotle didn't know the Christian God, but Aristotle, as he ponders in his logical philosophical thought, understands that if there is a God, God had to be the unmoved mover. He moves all things, but he himself is unmoved. He is unchangeable. He is immutable. If God's essence could change, God would not be God. Creation, all of creation is made by God. And if we change for the better, it's because of God's power. If we change for the worst, it's because we tend to nothingness because we were created out of nothing. But God is self-existent. He was not created out of anything. Therefore, God cannot change. He cannot get better. He cannot get worse or else he would not be God. If God's essence could change God, we said he can't be perfect because perfection can't increase. If it could, it would not be perfect. God's nature can't increase, but it also cannot decrease. Perfect nature can't be improved, but perfect nature can't be injured or worsened. Get this. Perfection does not have the potential or the risk of becoming imperfect. I, I remembered um, one time uh, 
I bought uh, this very uh, beautiful vase for my mom in preparation to give it to mom for, for Mother's Day because my mom loved flowers. And so um, this, uh, the, this vase um, looked you know, beautiful. It looked like something that I knew a mom got. And so when I got it, uh, the store owner, all right, wrapped it in like, I don't know, 10 layers of Kleenex or whatever it's used and then puts it in a box and then puts it in a second box and then puts it in a shopping bag and gives it to me. And I was even afraid to like <laughs> carry it, you know, to, to my car because it seemed so fragile that even if it were perfectly etched, uh, perfectly crafted, that there would be risk that it would be marred. Even the risk of it being marred cannot exist, else it cannot be perfect. And God is perfect. God's essence cannot change. If it could change, he would not be eternal. God's essence cannot change or else he could not be infinite or almighty. So God is unchangeable in his essence. Second, the second way that God is unchangeable is that he is unchangeable in his knowledge. And I think this is pretty straightforward to us. Nothing is hidden from God. Since the beginning of eternity, God has known all that he could know. Hebrews says that there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are uncovered and laid bare to the eyes of him to whom we have an account to give. Again, uh, not to be too repetitious, but we learn, we forget, but God's knowledge is unchangeable. If God's knowledge changes, he cannot be omniscient. If God's knowledge changes, he cannot be infinitely wise. And if God's knowledge changes, brothers and sisters, he is actually unfit to be our object of trust. But praise to be to God, right? God's knowledge does not change. So because God's knowledge is unchangeable, we can also trust in this third way that God is unchangeable. He is unchangeable in his word. He is unchangeable in his revelation of his knowledge. God's word never changes. Heaven and earth will pass away, Jesus said, but my words will not pass away. I'm going to drive back to work tomorrow. I'm going to go to work tomorrow. And in my office, there is one bookshelf with medical textbooks. And some of these medical textbooks I had obtained, uh, acquired over 25 years ago. Some are just a few years old. And I remembered a few months ago, because I have a stipend to be able to, uh, from my work to be able to buy a few books. And I was like, huh, do any of these need to be replaced or updated? And <laughs> to my you know, surprise, I, as I was looking, I realized that more than half of my textbooks have an updated version, a new edition, or a revised edition. These textbooks, these medical textbooks, have been updated. They're corrections, revisions, additions. 
but not God's word. The Bible doesn't get obsolete. These psalms that we've read, some written over 3,000 years ago, doesn't need a revision. And it's still perfectly applicable to you and I today. You know, furthermore, God's word is incorruptible. It's incorruptible. Jesus says, John 10, 35, the scripture cannot be broken. The words of God cannot uh, be changed. It can't be voided. It's not like someone else can, can make God's word void and obsolete. Even get this, your sinfulness and my sins cannot nullify God's promises. Uh, my, my kids get upset with me a lot. And one, of the, one common reason why my, my, my kids get upset with me is that I go back on my word, right? Sometimes I'll tell uh, my son, yes, you get an hour of video games. <laughs> and then my son does something unexpectedly rebellious. And once in a while, I'll go back on my word. No video games for you today. Some things that my son does, even though I didn't have the intention, can nullify my word. But nothing you and I can do, even our darkest, most shameful, rebellious acts, can nullify the word of God. So God is unchangeable in his essence, his, his knowledge, his word. And fourthly, this is probably my favorite. God is unchangeable in his plans. God is unchangeable in his plans. God's will, his plans, and his purposes, they're unchangeable. Jesus says, truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth passes away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. See, for God, there is always plan A. There is never a plan B. There's no necessity. There's no draft for a plan B. There is only plan A. You remember, there's this evil prophet, Balaam. We can read about him in the book of Numbers. Even Balaam was compelled to say in Numbers chapter 23, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not establish it? The author of Hebrews says, in the same way, God, desiring even more to show to the heirs of the promise the unchangeableness of his purposes, guarantees it with an oath. Now, as I'm stating to you, there may be one, two, or a few of you that are scratching your heads, and you might be thinking, Wait a minute. 
But doesn't God change his mind sometimes? Remember in Genesis chapter 6, God saw all the evil in the time of Noah. And then scripture says, Yahweh regretted that he made man on the earth. He was grieved in his heart. And Yahweh said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the earth, from man to animals, to creeping things, and to birds of the sky, for I regret that I have made them. Or in Exodus, God had just led his people out of Egypt, given them the law. And Moses was up there uh, in, in Mount Sinai getting detailed instructions on the construction of the tabernacle. And then what happens? Uh, the people got impatient, crafted this golden calf. What does God tell Moses? Now then, let me alone, that my anger may burn against them and that I may consume them and I will make you, Moses, a great nation. And then what did Moses do? Moses entreated the favor of Yahweh. And then in verse 14, Exodus 32, God, Yahweh, relented concerning the harm which he said he would do to his people. What about the Ninevites? Remember the Ninevites? God had shown intention that he was going to judge and wipe out the Ninevites. And in Jonah 3.10, it then reads, Then God saw their works, that they, the Ninevites, turned from their evil way, so God relented concerning the evil which he had spoken. He would bring upon them and he did not bring it upon them. This belief that God has an open-ended changing plan, that one day he decides this, and the next day he changes his mind because of changing circumstances, perhaps that he did not know about, is sometimes termed open theism. Open theism. And this idea of open theism claims that God doesn't know everything. He only knows those truths that are logically possible. And so God's plans can change in the future, depending on the changing situation. But brothers and sisters, the Bible denies open theism. God's actions throughout Scripture, including Genesis 6, Exodus 32, Jonah 3, 1 Samuel 15. They do not imply a change in God's sovereign will or plan. Let me read to you what God says in the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 18, verse 7 to 10, God says, At one moment, I might speak concerning a nation, or concerning a kingdom to uproot, to tear down, or to make it perish. But if that nation against which I've spoken turns from its evil, I will relent concerning the calamity I planned to do against it. Or at another moment, I might speak concerning a nation or concerning a kingdom to build up or to plant it. But if it does evil in my sight by not listening to my voice, then I will relent concerning the good which I promise 
to do good to it. What God is saying here in Jeremiah is this. Everything that happens has always been within my plan, including the raising up of nations and the judgment of nations and even their actions. It's not something that was unknown to him, but something that is known. The liberty of God and changeability are two different things. Liberty and changeability are different. God has the divine prerogative to choose justice and mercy. And his sovereign choice does not imply changeability. Let me build upon this. There's also the notion that our relationship with God can change, right? Human relationships change. And usually when relationships change, we think it implies the change to a particular party. Now, let me give you some tangible examples, all right? Last year, I preferred chocolate ice cream. But this year, I like vanilla ice cream better. So the implication is that, well, I have changed. <laughs> um, I used to like chocolate, but now I prefer vanilla. But when our relationship with God changes, it is not God who changes, but us. There is no new relationship that is acquired by God even with the creation of the world. This might seem really heavy. There is only a new relationship in creation that we as creatures have gained. But God does not change. Let me give you another example because this might seem difficult for some of you to grasp uh, right now. Imagine there is a highly gifted and skilled writer. Yet, this skilled writer has never authored a poem or a book. He has the capacity, she has the ability uh, to, to, to write anything he or she wants, but for whatever reason, the skilled writer hasn't authored a, a, a piece of literature. When that skilled writer, and let's imagine the skilled writer is perfectly skilled, can't add to him or her. The action of writing the, a, a first book or a first poem does not change any attribute of the skilled writer. It, uh, the, the skilled writer doesn't change, but the relationship Anything that's gained or, 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 or acquired only comes, in this case, from the authored piece or for us, as God's creatures, from creature. Let me build upon this. When a person sins, and specifically when a person sins against God, God does not change. And his relationship to man from his perspective has not changed. 
But we, as God's creatures, we change in our relationship with God. We've gained a new relationship with God. Before our sin, we were never criminal. He was never the judge. But because of our sin, we have gained a new relationship with God. God is now judge. We are not criminal. Or another way of looking at it is that if there was a tree, all right, maybe 50 yards from you, and you walk around, the tree might look different to you. As you approach closer to the tree, the tree might look bigger. As you step away from the tree, the tree might look different and you might appreciate the tree uh, more as a whole. Your relationship with the tree has changed, but the tree itself did not change at all. Your position changed, the tree remained the same. These are all imperfect illustrations, but what I want to convey to you is this, that God doesn't change, including his plans. He remains the same in his essence, his knowledge, his word, and his plans. Our plans change, right? Our plans get thwarted, but not God's. Job writes, God is unique, and who can turn him? And what his soul desires, that he does. And because God's plans are unchangeable, it now leads us to our third point in this psalm. And the third point in verse 28, our hope is secure. Our hope is secure. Look at verse 28. The children of your slaves will dwell securely and their seed will be established before you. What the psalmist, and this is a prayer of affliction, of weariness. At the end, he says, uh, my children, my future descendants will dwell securely and their seed will be established before you. The psalmist is saying that even though I might be experiencing intense suffering in this present time, I can remain secure in my future hope. Psalm chapter 33, it says that the counsel of Yahweh stands forever. The thoughts of his heart from generation to generation. Blessed is the nation whose God is Yahweh, the people whom he has chosen for his own inheritance. It is because God is immutable that God can ensure our hope. God says in Malachi, for I, Yahweh, do not change. Therefore you, O sons of Jacob, are not consumed. What what God is saying in Malachi is that you can rest in your salvation because I don't change. And because I don't change, you can be certain that you will not be consumed. And to culminate this thought, this attribute of God and his immutability, these verses are actually quoted in the New Testament. And they are quoted by the author of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 1. And the subject, the identifying recipient 
of these attributes is ascribed to our Lord Jesus Christ. You remember uh, Hebrews 1, the author introduces Jesus, and he says, this is Hebrews, it reads, but of the Son, he says, you, Lord, in the beginning founded the earth, and the heavens are the works of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. And they all will wear out like a garment, like a mantle, you will roll them up, like a garment, they will also be changed. But you are the same, and your years will not come to an end. So unlike creation, heaven, earth, Jesus remains the same. And therefore, Jesus, who is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his nature, accomplished cleansing for sin, and he makes our future inheritance sure. I don't know how some of you are feeling today, but I'm realizing more and more, I don't know if it's because of age, but I feel more weak. I actually at times get more confused and sometimes I, I feel weighty despair. The plans I wanna accomplish, I feel ill-equipped sometimes, inadequate. The questions I wanna answer, sometimes I can't find in this confusing dark world, but it's in these moments of disappointment and affliction as this present age and the evil mounts higher with each passing day, the question is, what do we do? And I think scripture, including this passage, is clear. Don't set your hearts on anything in this world that perishes. All creation changes. Look to and rest in the unchangeable God. God remains the same. And then fix our eyes on our future inheritance. Our hope is secure. Let me close our time together.